Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. So I'm so glad to have Shelley Paxton here with me from uh, Chicago. Welcome to my podcast, Shelley. It's great to be here. Shelley Paxton is an author, speaker, and movement maker. So think Brenny Brown with a dash of rebel. So as former chief marketing officer of Harley Davidson, Shelley found herself at the top of the proverbial mountain, feeling success empty instead of successful. And that awakening led her on a profound solbatical journey that became her mission, her business and best-selling book. And today she's leading a revolution with a B uh, to rewrite the script of success and liberate a billion souls. You've always been a rebel kind of soul and a more of a nomadic spirit. And you lived in so many places in the world, like Istanbul was intriguing to see, Shanghai, New York, and many other places you've been around the world. So where does this nomadic spirit come from, do you think, or rebel soul? It's so interesting. I think I've spent my whole life trying to figure this out. But the best I have concluded is that I was born a rebel. My parents would probably say that I came out of the womb when I was born as a rebel spirit. And I had, I think, a tough time with that when I was young. I was always trying to figure out, like, who am I? And I was rebelling against everything, my parents and authority and the church, any sort of religion, any sort of structure. And I think it was me really trying to understand who I am. And it took me many decades to figure that out. So that rebel spirit, I would say in my earlier years, played out in a not so constructive way. I always say that those are my days of rebelling against everything. And now I'm in this space of understanding that actually we're all rebel souls because the world doesn't want us to be our own authentic selves. But authenticity is actually the truest form of rebellion. And so now I talk in terms of rebelling for, which feels expansive and energetic and empowering. And I think it's something we can all do. So I say we should all awaken our rebel souls. <laughs> I happen to feel like I was born as one, but I'm I'm really trying to inspire a movement where we all understand that we are if we're living true to ourselves. It goes, I think, for everything nowadays that everybody is so hungry for this real thing, for the true thing, for whatever you would call authentic, right? Including, you know, companies and so on that, that they feel and look not on a, on a superficial level, but for real, feel like they are honoring something bigger than themselves also makes them authentic. Yeah, 100%. You know, this word uh, that comes from the Latin passion, patire, which really means to suffer for something, to be ready to suffer for something. So what is that for you in your life so far? Yeah, I mean, I think that's really what I'm alluding to when I talk about the revolution. And I love that you highlighted that that's with a B. Thank you for doing that. I mean, my passion is what I have discovered since the last year I was at Harley-Davidson. So like you said in the intro, I spent six and a half years at Harley and it was an incredible job. I mean, it was sexy, iconic. I got to ride motorcycles around the world. I mean, who's going to argue with that, right? At the same time, 
my big realization was that ultimately I was living somebody else's dream. I was living success on somebody else's terms. And in my case, it was my dad. I was really living his dream and I was ticking all of those boxes and it was leaving me feeling very empty inside. And so when I started to dig into that and to truly understand it, my passion became this idea that each and every one of us has a choice to live life on someone else's terms or on our terms and to define success on someone else's terms or our terms. And so I'm passionate about this idea of rewriting the script of success and choosing to live a life that's successful, which means we feel the success from the inside out because it's on our terms. That's beautiful. What would you say, for the most part, still defines uh, whatever success is in, in our world? I think it's a lot of the same things that I was chasing, quote unquote, right? That I was striving for. So big titles, you know, promotions, big money, you know, achieving a certain salary or hitting, you know, six figures, seven figures. And, you know, sometimes that's not even enough. I think it's material goods, right? The showing of status, whether it's cars or houses or, and I'm not saying those things are bad. Listen, I mean, I am not a monk in robes on a mountaintop. Like I love my I love my beautiful home. I love my nice things. I think it's a balance of what really lights you up in addition to maybe some of those things that are meaningful to each one of us. So I always say everything we were taught about success is bullshit. This is sort of what I've learned, right? This idea that it's ticking boxes and who created those boxes and who said that's what success looks like. So it's really... I think incumbent upon each one of us as leaders of our own lives and leaders in our businesses to say, what does success look like for me, for my team? How do we create a culture around that in a way where there's more humanity, more well-being, more soul in everything that we do? So let's get away from some of those ticking the boxes and more toward, you know, what's lighting us up. You know, all of us are very often we get stuck at, you know, problems that are on the table uh, either in our lives or broadly, and we pick up one by one and trying to solve them. And we go on with that and it feels good because it's like black and white. You can see the difference. You can see results. You can check that kind of meaningful box as well, right? <laughs> but, but still, I often feel that we can also get trapped into this problem-solution, problem-solution mode. But when we think like ahead and become more visionaries, more dreamers and think, okay, what do I really w want? What do people want? What do, what do I want in like 10 years from now? What is that future I wish to see? Let's say 2032. How does it look like there? How does it feel like? What is it about? What do you think for you? How does that look like? I love this question. Let me take a step back as a way to answer that question and say, You read a line in my bio that ties to this. I am on a mission to liberate a billion souls. 
And I know I'm not going to do that on my own. In the same way that your work and your passion, you're not going to do on your own. We're finding other people to continue this movement and this energy to be the change we want to see in the world, in corporate, you know, in leadership, right? What does the face of leadership look like and how we show up? And so I am really passionate about this idea of what is the impact? I always say ROI to me means less return on investment and more ripples of impact. So when you ask me about the future and what I love to see, I want to see more of us thinking about our leadership and our work in that way. And it's interesting. I just I just pulled up a quote from so Michelle Obama, former first lady here in the United States. She had a beautiful quote that I just stumbled upon the other day and I put it in my phone as a reminder. She said, success isn't about the money you make. It's about the difference you make in people's lives. And I feel that deeply. So when I think about what success means to me and what I would like for the future for all of us to be thinking about is what is the difference we're making in our own lives and in others' lives? How can we reframe success to be impact versus this checklist and showing up every day in a way that helps us be that change? That's powerful. That's what I want to see. And what about transformational points in your life? The biggest one for me is, you know, my decision to leave Harley. So, you know, that might, I think that might be a juicy thing for us to dig into because it is literally the, the moment that changed everything in my life and the trajectory, I had no idea where I was headed, but the trajectory put me on this course, you know, for this sabbatical journey on this mission. And I had no idea. So I guess a little bit of context, I spent 26 years in the corporate world and an incredibly and by most standards, wildly successful career in the advertising and marketing worlds, serving, you know, and stewarding some of the most iconic brands on the planet from Visa to AOL to McDonald's. And my career I guess I would say, like you said in the intro, I kind of was at the top of the proverbial mountain as chief marketing officer of Harley Davidson. And that was the flashpoint for me where I had this realization that I have been striving and achieving and ticking all of these boxes and making money. And I was awestruck that I could be at the top of this mountain and feel empty inside and being asked and asking myself the question like, is this all there is? How do you get here and work your whole adult life to get to this point that you thought was the destination and it doesn't feel so good, right? And let's be honest, like, I don't regret it for a second. I had an incredible career and that was a great place to, in my case, end my corporate career. But I started having, and I, I realize now that I was ignoring a lot of signs along the, along the way. Like my body was shutting down. I was having major illnesses. I was numbing with a lot of alcohol. There were just a lot of things that were patterns. Clearly there was a voice, <laughs> I call it my soul, speaking to me, whispering to me, shouting to me. And then finally, when I was in my final year at Harley, like, you know, hitting me with the big wooden two by four board and saying, 
you've got to listen or you're not going to survive until you're 50. This was happening when I was 45 years old. So fairly, you know, mid, mid to late career. And I got ripped out of my sleep five nights a week with a nightmare that just kept me from sleeping. And the thing that I kept seeing over and over and over again, I finally realized was a proxy for my soul. I was seeing my dog who had died many years prior before I went to Harley, still alive in this little utility closet. It was like I would find him every night and I didn't know he was still alive. And when I would find him, he was malnourished and dying and whimpering and begging for love. And I finally realized that seeing that was seeing my soul. And my soul was like, where, where are you? We're disconnected. Love me, feed me, nourish me. Please, please listen to me. And that was the big turning point for me to say, you know what? If I live this way for another five years, when I'm 50 years old, am I getting closer to who I want to become or further away? And, you know, do I want to take a chance on investing in the possibility of my future self and, and reconnect with that soul and really listen to what it's telling me to do? And that was the turning point. That was, you know, me spending the next six months kind of paving the way to leave Harley and to go on this really scary journey because I had no idea and I didn't have any role models who were doing this type of thing at the time. Do you have that now? I feel like I've created that for myself. I mean, a big part of my work and my message, so my work on this journey was to curate community for myself, to find people who would challenge and inspire me, who would who think differently, who are looking at life and success through a different lens. And I don't mean the same lens, but I was surrounded by a lot of people who were doing the same ticking the boxes of success thing that I was. So a big part of this journey was me finding people who really inspired me and elevated me and helped me stay courageous on this path that felt very unfamiliar. So yes, I've created that for myself. And I think I've become one of those people for other people. It's why I wrote my book, because I wanted to be able to say, you know, I'm putting my arm around you. I got you. Yes, this is a scary journey. And it's the most rewarding thing you'll ever do. And by the way, I don't mean you have to leave your job. That's what my path looked like. I say this isn't about leaving your job. It's about finding yourself. And when you find yourself and you engage in that deeper conversation with understanding who you are and what you want and the impact you want to have in the world, you can live that way and lead that way and create your life that way. And that might be inside a really big company. And I work with those people and I applaud those people. Uh, my journey just happened to look different. What do you feel in general that people think is scary about, um, you know, any kind of change, obviously, but specifically this kind of change? Yeah, I mean, so many things, right? I mean, financial, you know, can feel financially insecure 
because, you know, for most of us who are, would be stepping out of a role like this, you know, there's the, oh my gosh, I don't have the paycheck two weeks from now and two weeks after that, or however you get paid. So I think there's a, there's financial, there can be, if you choose to leave for any period of time, financial risk. I honestly, for me, and I think for many who I've worked with, the biggest fear is the unknown. And what if this doesn't work out? And what I always say to people is, well, okay, so what if it doesn't? I, I always said to myself, I'm going to give myself 12 months. I gave myself a timeline. I also gave my per myself permission to course correct at any point. So if I got three months into this journey or six months into this journey and it wasn't feeling right and it wasn't serving me and lighting me up, well, I gave myself permission to do whatever I needed to do in that moment. It might have looked like going back and getting another corporate job. It might have looked like getting into consulting more deeply. It could have looked like a million different things, but I think we sometimes as we're making these moves that feel unfamiliar and scary, we're, we're locking ourselves in like this is a forever decision. And the reality is it's not. Think about it in terms of the next right step and the next right step. And you can reevaluate and course correct at any point. And that is honestly what got me through because there were many high highs and many low lows <laughs> in all of it. And there still are. If you would assume that you have really all doors open to you and all kinds of resources at your disposal, what would you innovate or change? I mean, obviously, I understand the re revolution idea and so on, but is there something else or somewhere else or in another sector that you would try to create a change of some kind? Yeah. I mean, I love, I love that question. I've never been asked that before. And my, my wheels are spinning. So... Quite simply, I think that, you know, corporate culture in most places, like we could just like, you know, like the thing I keep thinking, of, I was imagining like taking dynamite and just blowing it up. And we start over in terms of even this idea of a nine to five day work day doesn't make any sense, right? Where we take some of this flexibility that we now realize is a beautiful thing and We so um, Deloitte has actually done this here in the states, and maybe it's happening other places around the world. Where on their C-suite, like their most senior executive team, they have a chief well-being officer. And I thought, wow, how beautiful is that? You know, a company like Deloitte trying to lead the way, and I'm actually trying to get to this woman because I really want to have an interview with her for my book to understand what does that look like? What practices? Because I think it might be easy to create that role. And then the real question is what's happening as a result? But that's an idea that got me thinking like, How beautiful. What if we really did have a chief well-being officer sitting at the senior most table in every organization, and that becomes a part of how decisions are made, how culture is created, how, you know, work gets done, that well-being and mental health and humanity are factored into all of those things. It is a reboot. So that's one example where I just think, God, that would be really cool. And it's possible. No, that's, that's beautiful. And uh, I was just thinking about Oren Lyons, who's a chief of the Turtle Clan, some 
group of indigenous people and uh, a beautiful uh, person in many ways, when he was sitting at a huge conference many years ago, uh, together with the CEO of a huge company, I think it was General Motors or something, and they got to know each other quite well there on the scene. It was more like a panel and so, and then he asked at a certain point, he asks the CEO of GM, like, at what point do you go from being the father and the grandfather to be the CEO of this company on the journey from home to work. Where does that transition happen? And I thought it was so powerful because it made everybody in the audience, including I hope the CEO, to reflect on the fact that you are and should be the same and and integrate all of those roles we have in life with our work so that we make the right decisions, as you say. So it's integrated into everything. You can't just like close that dimension off when you go to work. I love this. And I I had written um, actually really early days of the pandemic. I wrote what I call a rebel leaders manifesto, and I'm happy to link to it for anybody who wants to to read it. But the, the last line or one of the last points is we are living fully aligned and integrated lives as game changers, culture creators, and movement makers. Because those of us who are saying we want to be the change also need to be showing what does that look like and showing up as our whole selves in our leadership, showing up in our integrated lives. And there's no doubt that the pandemic has fast forwarded a lot of that, right? We're living and working, or at least were for a huge chunk of time, living and working in our homes. And you were seeing our cats and our kids and our dogs and everything, right? Uh, The insides of our homes and our, our lives in ways that never happened before. And so I am really hopeful that that is a portal to creating what this next chapter looks like, that we're bringing more of it. And to be honest, it's part of the reason I love Brene Brown. It's why I use her in how I think about myself, because she has been on the forefront of this idea of dare to lead. And what does daring leadership look like versus armored leadership? And I've been a huge fan. I mean, I'm a huge fan of her work from from the beginning. And I love that she is carrying a lot of these principles of vulnerability and authenticity and courage into the way we lead and how we show up as leaders, how we create culture around that, how we have, you know, courageous conversations. So yeah, more of that, please. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what advice would you give to, to leaders who are listening right now? What should they especially focus on? I keep I keep going back to you know let's be the change we want to see so the more that we can show up as our whole selves, to use the language that you just used, which I love, the more we can bring our whole selves and honor our truth and be courageous enough to create, to live and lead in alignment with that truth and become examples for the fact that this is possible. And the more of us who are demanding this, frankly, younger generations are already demanding this. Corporate culture will have to change if we want to keep the younger generations and their creativity and their energy and their inspiration in our work because they're saying, no, I'm not going to do what you guys have done for so long. It's already changing. And I love that, you know, the millennials and Gen Z are forcing 
even more of this change because of the expectations that they want to live and lead on their own terms. And by doing so, they can bring more energy and innovation and creativity into the workplace, whatever whatever that looks like. So for all of us who, you know, have been doing this for a while, have been leaders for decades in our respective careers and organizations, I say let's let's be the example. I call it being a soul model. You might call it being a role model, but I love that we would show up in our work as chief soul officers of our lives and bring that vulnerability into the way we lead and the way we inspire our teams. That to me is the most beautiful thing that we can do and not pay lip service to taking time off and radical self-commitment and mental health, but show how it's done and pave the way. What do you think is the most important thing for uh, companies to focus on right now? I would say, I mean, this, the, at least here in the States, I'm really, really concerned that especially with work from home and the way things are going, that, you know, burnout continues to be a huge issue. And the mental health crisis over here is not getting better. It's getting worse amongst all generations. And I don't feel like corporate culture is helping this. Because until we shift the standards that taking a mental health day, as one example, like taking a mental health day is as important as taking a quote-unquote sick day, until we start to shift the narrative around that to say, it's okay, and it's okay to talk about our mental health and well-being, let's put in place cultures and systems and role models of what it looks like to truly say, you know what, like, I, I just, I can't be present for that today. Or, right, I need to create more space in order to be able to do that. Or I need to rest because we just had this long sprint with this massive project. You know, we tend to roll from one thing into the next into the next. So that, to me, is a huge thing. And that might be coming more from a U.S. perspective, but it's where I live and it's largely, you know, what I'm more exposed to these days. But I'm worried that, you know, we're not robots. We're human beings, right? So that's why I just think this this well-being component of how we show up as leaders is more important than ever. Definitely so. And there is this beautiful part about the leadership, I think, is that apart from being a caring leader, is really to dare to go to places where people haven't been. So, and to dare to say that, I don't even know what is the answer, but we will figure it out together and experiment and uh, dare to take different routes and discover new things. And, and there in that space, I think there is a lot of creativity and innovation to be found from, from everyone. And I love that you brought that up because that's one of the things that I really sparked to in Brene Brown's work. When she talks about daring leadership, it's this idea that, you know, we shift from, I need to get it right as a leader. I need to have all the answers, which is how many of us were trained and raised. And that was the expectation that was built to instead having this vulnerability around exactly what you said, saying, I don't know, and let's collectively work to get it right. 
right? That we don't have to know that. And to, that starts to fundamentally shift how we work and how we show up. I just love the, the vulnerability and courage. And like you said, innovation and creativity that that starts to invite into how we do our work. The pandemic has been hard in so many respects. And there's been some beautiful gifts as a result. And I think that kind of collaboration industry-wide, collaboration across industries, kindness, you know, heart-centered leadership, cooperation versus competition. Seeing so much more of that gives me hope for how we create this next chapter. Mm. Yeah. And when you say kindness, I love that word, but it's very often, as you know, perceived as something weak, right? You're kind, then you're like soft or weak or whatever. And then when you think about it, kindness as a power, incredible. I think it's the highest form of intelligence, actually, because kindness, if, if people are driven by kindness and guided by kindness, they can never do something wrong. So how can you hurt something or hurt someone or a system if your intention is kind? There's no way that can happen. So it's a true win-win. I love I love digging into this because while I am not an expert, I don't I don't serve myself up as an expert. One of the things I've learned on my journey and in the in some really powerful conversations I've had along the way is that kindness starts with self-kindness. So the only way that we can show up in the way that you just described is if it starts at home. And that's a journey, that journey of self-kindness and self-love. If more of us brought that to our leadership, it becomes natural to then project that kindness, share that kindness, approach everything with more empathy and compassion mm. because we're doing the same for ourselves. That's been a big revelation for me. And I know it's not rocket science, but I also, you know, I didn't realize like, you know, I was beating myself up and, you know, having harsh words with myself. How can I then expect to go out into the world with others and really truly project the kind of kindness I would like to? So it's, both, right? It's self-kindness and other kindness. And man, to have both of those in our leadership and in our corporate cultures going forward, that feels like one of the secret ingredients. Hmm. And, and Shelley, my final question to you is this one. What do you think the world needs most at this very time? Well, man, kindness. <laughs> I, I love that we landed there because I think, I think kindness and compassion come to mind. And, and I think it's, um, it, it gives me goosebumps that it came up really organically in this conversation because it is so important, right? Kindness for self, kindness for others, having compassion, bringing that to more of our, you know, the way we live and the way we lead, I just feel like that's a beautiful starting point for how we engage with each other in more of an inclusive way versus a divisive way and how we start to rebuild, you know, really strong, supportive and soulful cultures going forward. Thank you so much, Shelley. And thanks for sh sharing everything. To find out more, you'll find links and uh, show notes on corporateunplugged.com. 
And remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing Shelley. And please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. So thank you so, so much for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.